Mark 12, 28 through 34. And I know it'll be up on the screen. So I'm going to read it from up there. It says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered him well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth. Now, Today, we look at someone telling Jesus that he said the truth as kind of ridiculous. But back then, they didn't know who he was. They didn't experience what we experience. It says, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any question. So tonight I'm going to be talking a little bit about the first commandment. If you can put your Bibles down, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask you, God, to have your way in this place. Lord, as your word goes forth, let it mold and change our hearts. Let it change our minds. Let it, God, have its purpose in our, in our lives. And God, let it go forth and let it bring forth and feed all those that we come in contact with. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you in your holy name. You can be seated. There's been countless times as I've been here in, at uh, Apostolic Life. My wife and I uh, have been here now for um, going on 19 years. And there's been countless times that we've heard messages on love in that time. There's been countless uh, speakers that have gotten up here and they've shared about God's love. I, I'm not going to bring a new revelation in its entirety tonight. What I, what I felt like God laid on my heart was to remind us and to help us uh, be more um, intentional in our love towards God. You see, because Scripture talks a lot about this, this subject. It not only talks about love for God, it talks about love for our neighbor, love for those who we uh, are, are related to, our family, our children, our spouse. It also says that we're supposed to love those that 
despitefully use us, that hate us, that treat us poorly. So love is a topic that no matter how many times we talk on it, we're never going to cover every aspect of it. But this particular portion of Scripture stood out to me because here is this this lawyer, this this gentleman who is he's heard other conversations that Jesus has had, and he decides in in Matthew, the Bible says that he was a lawyer and that he was tempting Jesus. And so here he is, he thinks he's going to ask a question that Jesus won't know the answer to. And in the Jewish culture, this is a prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That is a prayer, and it includes, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, and strength. And so I couldn't understand why is this question being asked to someone who they knew had silenced all these other questions? What what purpose did this guy think he was going to get to? And so as I began to study, as I began to read and and think about how what my knowledge of the commandments are. You know, I'm not just talking about the Big Ten. I'm not just talking about the the Ten Commandments that everybody wants to focus on. Although those are important and they have to do with this, they are not the first commandment. The first commandment was given by Moses. Moses, uh, in Jewish history is considered one of the greatest leaders of all time. He's considered to be on par or greater even than Abraham as a leader. And I think all of the families in here can understand that because essentially he took millions of screaming children across the wilderness for 40 years on a road trip. And so he he was... He was at his wit's end by the time he spent 40 years in the wilderness with these people. Okay? So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when he addresses the children of Israel again, he's addressing them after he has smote the rock. After he was supposed to speak to the rock and he smote it. He knew at this point in time he was not going into the promised land when he addressed the children of Israel again. And so as he's talking to them, his final words to them as a nation, he says, forget about everything else. Forget about all the trials and tribulations and the things that you've been through. If I'm going to give you one last thing to hang on to, it's going to be this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
I don't see anybody disputing that. It's very direct. We serve one God. If anybody, anybody says, I've heard people say, well, you know, the reason I believe in the Trinity is because Jesus references the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He also says you're supposed to love the Lord thy God and that there's only one. So that tells me that they have not went back. They've not studied the history. They've not studied. You know, the Jews had a problem with Christianity because they believed that they were trying to teach that there was more than one God. That's not the case. That didn't come till hundreds of years later, after Christ. So prior to that, there was only one God. Still today, there's only one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and all thy soul and all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. This was the commandment. This in the Jewish culture is known as the Shema. It's recited twice a day, in, in the beginning of the day and at the end of the day in, in services and ceremonies. It is a prayer that anyone in Jewish culture would know. From, a, from, from the very youngest children, they would know this because it was the final words to the children of Israel before Moses left them as their leader, before they went into the promised land. When this lawyer, when this gentleman asked Jesus this question, and Matthew says that he asked him, tempting him, that word tempting means multiple different things. And the way I always took it was in a negative connotation. He was trying to trip Jesus up. He was trying to uh, get him to a place to where he would say something that everybody else around him would, would say, oh, yeah, you really got him on that one. But there's a, a, a piece right here, a piece of this scripture in verse 34 of Matthew 12. It says, and when Jesus saw that he answered him discreetly. I can't tell you what this man's intentions were. I can't tell you where he started out, where his mind frame started from. But somewhere in Jesus' answer, this man started to realize there's something more here. There's something greater to understanding that our love for God has got to be greater than anything else. The disciples 
ask Jesus about, well, you know, what about us that have left our, our families and our houses and our lands and we've forsaken all for you? They were trying to say, well, we're trying to love you. We're trying to, to follow you with everything. But when Jesus spoke to Peter and he was asking him, do you love me? He said what? Feed my sheep. You see, our love for God, according to the own, Jesus' own words, will be manifest in our love towards others. In our love towards our brother, our fellow man, we find that our entirety, think about this, the heart, the soul, and your might. I, I, as God kind of laid this on my heart, I, I started praying differently. I'm, you know, God, change my, change my heart so that it's loving you. Whatever that means, let, let my intentions be pure. Let my heart be yearning for those who don't know who you are. My soul, make it, make sure it's purified, make sure it's cleansed, make sure that I've, I've repented of the things that I needed to repent of, make sure that I have found myself in a place where I have shown love towards others with my might, the things that I do, the, the things that I, I invest my time and resources into. Let those be for your kingdom, not just for me, not just for what I can accumulate. The Bible says that the things that we accumulate here on earth, that moth and rust will corrupt them. They will be destroyed in fire. They, they will not last. But our love will it is something that goes from generation to generation. How many in here knew your great, 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 great grandparents? No one, right? But you know they had to have had love at some point in time in their life. Because we're all here today. We are here because of the love of God. The Shema is a prayer that expresses belief in a singular God, a God of oneness, in, is a God who is incomparable to any other. There is no other God but our God. So when we say that we love God with everything, do we truly, do we mean to say it or do we say it because it's a repetition? It's something that we've been told to say. We should love God with everything. Well, that's good. So how are we consecrating that love to God? When the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6 
says heart, soul, and might, the the, the theologians that study this verse say that that this this context is supposed to be an example of everything that completes us. Are there pieces of us that we're giving to God and other pieces we're holding back? Then we're not following the first commandment. Jesus tells the lawyer, you're so close to the kingdom by understanding this one thing. You're so close to the kingdom. Obviously, the Holy Ghost had not been poured out yet. But he says, you're right there. You understand it. You've You've gotten the answer that you needed, the answer that you were looking for. Whether you really understood why you were asking to begin with or not. It's easy to understand why uh, love is is, uh, so important. And even the world understands it. Hundreds of songs are written about love. One in particular, an, an older song that I'll just be honest, I'm not trying to you know, date anyone else on if you heard this song originally from the original artist, but there is a song called The Things We Do for Love, Right? And, and so all these love songs throughout generations, they're talking about what would happen. What, what would you be willing to give for love, for true love? Then you go into movies and media, and, and they spend billions of dollars, billions of dollars trying to portray people who would give up everything for that one true love. There have been playwrights and books and, and, and things written throughout history that point out that, oh, well, this king gave up everything for this one perfect wife. When really, we give up very little sometimes. If we were to use the example that's used throughout Scripture, the example of a husband and wife, oftentimes, and we get up in the mornings, maybe not even at the same time, we go on about our business, we have our, our, our quick little uh, time of devotion, and, and we get, get on our way, we eat breakfast, we go about our day, we go to our perspective jobs or or whatever the circumstance may be and if we're not careful we could very very quickly get into a rhythm of just going through the motions and our spouse begins to feel 
neglected and abused. The solution to humanity is create Valentine's Day or something along those lines. Have some kind of special, you know, everybody celebrates this day where you can go out and tell, it, tell your special someone how much you love them. Or maybe you buy them a gift or you bring home your spouse flowers or maybe you ladies bring home your husband a new gun or something. Just, just a hint. Uh, but you, you have these things and you think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit. I'm going to take time out of my schedule and make them feel good. Sometimes we get in that same place spiritually. I know I have been. Oh, well, I got to go to service Sunday. I got to make God feel good about me being there. If I don't go, then, you know, there might not be a move. We, we start doing it out of obligation instead of a complete and entire love for Christ. If you spend any time in, in the religious world at all, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, you'll hear it. You'll hear it on the radio. You'll hear it different places. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ." I have always understood this as one-way love. I've always looked at this and thought, this is, this is God's love for us. However, when you take into consideration who wrote this, he had sen seen peril and sword and tribulation, and trials, and all these different things. The type that don't compare with the things, if I'm being honest, that we go through today. We get a little bit of persecution at work, and we're ready to run away and cry tears and woe is me. We have a little bit of a hard time. Our, 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 our vehicle doesn't start, or our finances don't line up. And we immediately, God, where are you? Is that wholehearted love? Or are we all too often seeking the things that he offers to those that he loves? He loves all of us here. 
more than we can ever imagine. But what are we doing to repay that love? John chapter 1, verses 4 through, uh, sorry, chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And we have known and believed that the love of God hath, uh, that God hath to us. God is love, and he dwelleth in love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. I would contend that not just the world acknowledges our love towards one another, but God acknowledges our love towards one another as well. If we don't love our brother, if we don't lift them up, if we don't encourage them, then how do we expect things from God? How do we expect him to say, yes, you are operating in love? You're operating in love towards me. The children of Israel had turned their back on God multiple times. Many times throughout their pilgrimage from Egypt to Canaan land. They had done many things that were obvious to God and to Moses they're just they, they're looking for the promise but they're really not looking for the promiser John chapter first uh, John chapter 2 says or reminds us that we can't have a love for the world and have a love for God separation from the world is key. It's important that we understand this because if we are focused on the things of this world, we will not be focused on the things of God. The Bible says that he that warreth entangleth himself not in the affairs of this world, in the affairs of life. The Bible reminds us in the parable of the sower, that it was the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches that strangled out the word in our lives. It didn't kill the plant, but it made it unfruitful. It made it without love. 
And finally, if we can all stand tonight, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And I will remove thy candlestick from out of its place, except thou repent. I am far from perfect, so I don't stand up here as someone who doesn't need to heed these words myself. But I would employ each, implore each of us tonight to come and find a place where we, we pay attention or we review the things that we failed in love, whether it's love for our fellow man, love for our brother in the Lord, whether it's a hatred for the world, or whether it is just the fact that we've turned away from our first love. We're all here for a reason tonight. The word has went forth for a reason. And it's to draw us to a place where we can be encouraged that no matter what's happened to this point, no matter the trials, the tribulations, no matter the failures, no matter the faults, we have a place where we can come back to God's love and we can say, make me new again. Repair me. Replace those things in me that I have removed. We can't afford to find ourselves without love. If we could come tonight and gather around the altar.